You're listening to Chew the Fat, a podcast that tells the story behind the glory and pursuing your passions. My name's Joel Young, and I'm better known for being an independent retail butcher. I'm sitting down with creators to talk about their process, the lessons they've learned, and how to make an impact. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Chew the Fat podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I guess you're probably probably wondering what is the Chew the Fat podcast. Well, the idea behind it is pretty simple, really. So I'm a big believer that everybody has a story. Um, everybody's got something to say. Um, I believe that you know, as us as people, we find relatability through other people's stories and their tellings in one way or another so the idea is to get people other people on here um i just talk to them and we just pretty much just nut it out and chew the fat and have a chat so it's all about um who they are where they've come from what they're doing what they've had to overcome um just to make that makes that person who they are today so I guess for the first episode, I'll um, I'll touch a little bit about my own life. I guess um, a, a little bit of a dive deeper onto who who I am, who Joel the Butcher is, and who Joel Young is, and where where he came from to get to where I am today. So, I guess it starts all the way back at the beginning with um, with my mum, really. So she was a very very young mother. Um, you know, she had my older sister when she was 19 and then she had me when she was 20 and she was a single mother, you know, by herself, no other family around her, um, raising two kids by her, yeah, by herself. So just, you know, it's one of those things that's kind of, kind of hard to imagine. Um, I don't really, I'm not sort of too sure on exactly why why my parents split the way that they did or um you know how my how how my dad ended up back on the scene a little bit later on um that gave me my younger sister and my younger brother but yeah so that's that's sort of how it how it started and it was just pretty much from there um a lot of a lot of traveling um a lot of moving around there was no sort of stability but we um we always had each other so once we once my uh, dad had come back on the scene and um, my little brother and my little sister had, had come about, you know, things were sort of relatively back to normal, I guess, in terms of a, of a happy little family. But um, yeah, I, re- I remember it always being sort of a little bit rocky. And when my parents decided to split, you know, my dad was always, always there. We moved around a lot and dad was always, you know, wanting to be a part of our life so we it was always weekends with him or you know school pickups from him and he'd drop us off back at home or you know this that or the other but I remember moving around quite a lot as a little kid um, going from school to school um, house to house we stayed at friends houses like friends of friends of mum her houses um, and yeah, I get. I guess that sort of just put me out. It forced me to put me outside my own shell to make friends um, with going to new schools all the time. You know, not having, not growing up with any sort of luxury items. We can. We didn't really hold on to much in terms of in terms of possessions. 
so yeah growing up like that um and then you know moving moving around a lot and I remember never really having a lot of stuff we never really looking back at it now we um yeah we were pretty poor growing up we didn't really have much much stuff it was never new clothes it was never uh new shoes it was never um you know anything new we sort of lived by um like day to day or week by week you know mum would always always cooking she was always you know trying to stretch a meal or trying to make something out of nothing so I guess um yeah I guess that's where my sort of passion for cooking and everything like that sort of came about as well um so next like fast forward a few years um my last sort of memory of living down in uh, metropolitan melbourne was um i'm not 100 percent sure on how we sort of ended up in this position but my mum um and the four of us the kids had uh we'd moved into a, a women's refuge home so with a whole bunch of other families um it was sort of like a big big hotel complex sort of um, and I remember that was down in Yarra and I was maybe nine at the time and they had found us a, a house to move to that um, I'm pretty sure they, they helped my mum get, get a car and uh, we moved into country rural Victoria which is over in Leangatha um, and I remember we got there late late at night it felt like we'd been driving for ages with the car packed up with all of our belongings and uh, I remember um, so coming into Leangatha for the first time ever and pulling over by the side of the road to collect wood to pile into the back seat and then everyone's driving we're just literally on the side of the highway picking up wood and everyone's driving past and sort of you know looking or tooting or whatever and I'm just thinking like what what's and so it turns out you're not actually allowed to to do that to pull over by the side of the road and, and pick up wood so we went to this went to this house um older older little house and uh we we lit the fire as best we could and we sort of spent the night on the on the floor of this house for the for the first night ever um so not much not longer not much longer after that we um I ended up in the primary school there, which is Ling at the primary school. And that would have been, I would say, about a 5K walk. And I used to walk that every single day to and from because, um, yeah, mum didn't have enough to be to be running a car uh, through the week just to be driving us to school and everything like that. So, yeah, growing up through, through primary school and everything like that, you know, same thing again. Mum was always trying to get work. Uh, we didn't really have anything. Um, and it was just myself and my sister. I think my younger younger sister and my younger brother were still in in kinder at the time, and it was just my older sister and myself going to this going to this primary school. So, um, you know, sort of had a didn't really have a, a hard time making friends, but you know, I tried my best, and um, yeah, I, w- I would say, you know, after all that in my schooling years up through the primary school and then again through the secondary school you know I could count on like one hand the amount of people that I've stayed in contact with um moving into my sort of older older years um through high school and everything like that I 
started getting into what I thought were the cool kids. You know, we were always taught, like, you know, don't don't hang out with the bad guys in, in grade six and making that transition. Don't smoke, don't do this, don't do that. But, you know, I sort of started hanging out with a um, bit of the bit of the rougher, I guess, crowd, which I thought was um, a lot more of the cooler, cooler guys getting into trouble, um, you know, skipping school, smoking, which eventually um, eventuated into like wagging school and leaving school and then, um, yeah, having, having a bit of a stint of being unemployed and, you know, keeping those same friends outside of school, I guess, which were just bad news, you know, um, my, my parents had, had told me that, you know, these guys aren't, these guys aren't your friends. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to go anywhere. They're not going to, they're not going to help you with your, with your life. They're not going to benefit you in the long run. And looking back at it now, you know, these are the people that helped me, helped shape me who I am. But at the same time, it's, it's the crowd that I didn't essentially need to be, need to be in, um, so yeah, you know, getting into trouble, getting into trouble with the police, doing the bad thing, drinking heaps, um, da- like doing drugs as well was um, was a big thing. And then yeah, it was just it was just toxic. And a lot of those friends that I had, a lot of them worked at um, the local abattoir, and you know I would always hear stories just you know come out to the abattoir it's this it's this it's we can get you a job like that no worries and I was like oh nah like I just don't want like I just don't want to go out there every it seemed like everybody that went out there was stuck out there and they just couldn't get away from actually the um the I guess the culture that they have out there in the in the abattoir so um you know, I, I waited out, I had a couple of like smaller part-time jobs or full-time jobs that were just monotonous. It wasn't really, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. It was just to, just to get by, to get some, get some cash to, to just, um, you know, live for the, live for the weekends at the time and, you know, party with friends and, you know, get pissed it all up and nothing, nothing was ever, ever saved um, until I landed myself an apprenticeship, uh, which was just down the road I was baking at the time I was doing night shift from 7 p.m to 7 a.m and I had a girlfriend at the time who was still currently in school and she said that she never got to see me uh so I said okay yeah that's that's fair enough I'll see what else is out there and I remember that morning finishing work going home and sitting down with my stepmom I'd, I'd moved out of home from my mum's and I was living with my dad and my stepmom at the time and she said, what is it that you want to do? I said, well, I don't really know. I wouldn't mind being a butcher. She said, why? I'm like, well, I like knives. Knives are pretty cool. And she's, she helped me. She said, actually, there's a butcher apprenticeship going just down the road, which a place called the Good Food Place at the time. So I went down there and I applied for the job and I wore my best shirt that I had and I had an interview and I was sweating. I've never, I'd never had a proper sit down interview like that. And this particular guy, um, his name was Andrew and he had 
the good food place. He had a restaurant. He had a pizza shop, and he had a fish and chip takeaway as well. So I, th- I'm thinking, geez, this guy's killing it. Um, so I got the job. Um, I started there, and it was a mutual. I was, I would say, a friend acquaintance of mine, um, who was the meat manager there. And a short time after, after starting, you know, I remember that first day like it was yesterday, and I, I just loved it from my very first day I absolutely loved it in the butcher shop you know my job was at the start just crumbing everything was already cut for me I didn't even get a knife in my first week whatsoever I was just crumbing just crumbing chicken crumbing lamb crumbing beef just crumbing absolutely everything it was just little shop but we had a high turnover like a low profit margin so that the prices were relatively cheap everything all came in boxes and it was a big high turnover so it was a butcher a uh, fresh produce and delicatessen as well so I slowly made my way up um, picked up some knife skills and I've always I always said like you know can I come in early or can you save me this and I'll learn how to do it I'll learn how to do it on my own time so you know doing apprenticeship wages even still then were even a lot worse than what they are today um, I can't even remember my hourly rate. So for me, doing all the overtime in the world was the most important thing. You know, more more money. I think I was on about like just under three hundred dollars a week, and that was at my full time uh, full time hourly rate. It was got me just under three hundred dollars. So I'm like, nah, I need to I need to work more. I need to work more. So I used to do uh, I used to work in the produce section. I'd try and do a little bit up in the deli. I'd come in. Um, early the boys would leave I'd, I'd do a bit of cleanup um, I'd come in early to set up I'd do absolutely everything that I possibly could just to get more money in my pocket so my boss oh, not sorry not my boss my meat manager at the time um, his name was Dane and he taught me he got he taught me the basics and he sort of you know started me on my path and then he left to go start his own venture which is at a, at a different butcher shop um, maybe about 40 minutes away. So there, in the meantime between um, him leaving and me leaving, there was a bunch of different meat managers that came through. Each and every one came through with their own ideas on how they were going to run the store and how all these different changes and I've been doing this job for 35 years this is the only way to make money sort of mentality so you know that I guess that sort of gave me the platform to change my skills and adopt uh, different techniques and different styles and I was always always learning different ways because of that so um, yeah but you know I was the least qualified person there but at the same time I'd been there for so long I sort of felt like the most experienced Um, I did all the snags I did all the chicken I was breaking lambs and breaking beef and everything like that in my in my second year of of my apprenticeship but the business itself was I could sort of tell that it was slowly starting to um dwindle I think it was slowly starting to go downhill and I'm not sure sort of sure what the actual um, signs were but something inside me just felt like this I need to change I need to get out I need to find something new so I, I looked around and I just moved out of town so and down the road from me I had a I had a sick day um 
I told my boss I was I was having a sick day and I actually went and had a day's trial I lined up a day's trial in another smaller butcher shop which was um, in a little country town called Tarwin Lower so I went in straight after work on one day um, gunned it down there got got I didn't have a license at the time I got I got dropped off by my stepmom and I went in and I met the owner his name was Shane Harris and he was he had a farm and it was his way and he owned the butcher shop so it was his way of filtering his own cattle through um, a butcher shop so he owned the butcher shop as well and he had a butcher a uh, shop manager there that would that would run the do all the all the cutting and run the store um, through the week so he liked me he said um, you know when can you start so I said let's organize a day next week so I came down um, I took a sick day from the good food place and I went down and spent the day down uh, in Tarwin Lower and that's the first time that I ever met my now business partner um, and lifelong mentor John Hardman so absolutely hit it off he's a um, big old school Englishman and I don't think I understood a single word of what he said through his accent for the entire day but you know it was it was absolutely awesome so um yeah he started me on my way and in that interview with him that first day with him I remember him saying he's like so you know what do you what do you want outside of out of butchery what do you want to come from it I said I'd like to own my shop eventually one day he's like okay cool cool that sounds all right that sounds all right so um you know fast forward I ended up handing in my resignation at the good food place and started working down uh, with John and with Shane down at uh, this tiny little butcher shop in Tawan Lower not long after that so working there for for a couple years and John's son whose also name is John he was working on the farm with Shane at the time and um, so we got the shop up and busy enough to um, you know warrant having a third person in so um, John Senior pulled in his son from the farm and said how about you come in Um, he already sort of knew he grew up with his dad in the shop so you know he already knew enough of the basics to to come in and, and help out as well so we were killing it we started doing farmers markets um it's you started getting a bigger bigger turnover um during a town like through through a town that's main uh turnover is kind of a little bit more seasonal because it's a little place down by the coast so it's it gets that really good seasonal holiday traffic but kind of quiet in in between so we started getting a bigger local trade we started venturing it out doing deliveries picking up wholesale and everything like that and then John was living over in Terrelgan and he was coming down to Tarwin Lower every day. So if you don't know the, the length of that, it would have been about an hour and hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes travel each way every single day. And so that, w- that was a killer for him until one day he said, you said you wanted to go into business one day. I said, yeah, I still would like my own shop. And he's like, there's a shop that's come up in Terrelgan if you want to have a look at it and that was an absolute shock for me so I said oh okay yeah that sounds good and getting closer and closer and closer to the date um, I guess he sort of groomed me for for it but you know leaving 
leaving everything that I knew, everything that I was comfortable with, you know, my sort of safe zone was so scary and so daunting to me. I, um, I actually said to John, um, you know, this, this is something that I, I don't want to do. I'm getting really cold feet about this. I don't want to, I don't want to pursue it. He said, Hey, that's fine. You know, how about you just come up, um, stay at my house for a little bit and just, just come and work for me. I'll buy the shop and you come and work for me. So I said, okay, cool. So I went and I worked with him, but little did I know that, um, yeah, he sort of had his own other plans for me to, it was his way of sort of getting me up there to make me, make me commit, I guess. So I moved in with him and his, um, his family, his wife, his son and his daughter. And we went up to the, to this shop. We went and spent, um, each of us spent a week up there learning the ins and outs of this, of this particular shop while the old owner had it, uh, learning everything that there was to know about the client base, the wholesale, um, how we sort of ran his shop and everything like that. And that was, that was really cool. This guy had been there for a long time. His name was Jack and he'd been there for forever. You know, he was an apprentice and he ended up buying the shop off of another older dude. But he'd just fallen, fallen out of love with the, with the job and the trade. Um, he started hitting the piss really, really hard, just drinking a lot, drinking through the day. So yeah, it was, you can tell he just, he just wasn't in love with the, with the place anymore and he just needed a change. So working with this, um, with this particular guy, we got, we got up and running and, um, yeah, we, we got it started off. So there was myself, uh, John, and his son, John Jr. So we called ourselves the Three J's. So Three J's Butchery was born uh, there and then. I think that was in 2011 at the end of um, at the end of October, start of November. Um, just on, it must have been, our, our first week must have been on the Melbourne Cup weekend. So, yeah, and then from there we, um, you know, this shop was... A rundown little shop. It's 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 been there forever. It was just like this old, shitty little shop. It was it was dirty. It stunk. So we just did did what we could. Like the the meat cases didn't run that cold. Like in the summertime, they they would get hot. We'd have to put ice in the bottom of these particular uh, meat cases just to keep the try and keep the temperature down. Like the place was just. Yeah, just needed a lot of a lot of love and a lot of TLC. So from that first week, you know, we started. Um, we we agreed on a wage. So we said, you know, what's between the three of us? What's the minimum that we can live off a week um, to to survive? Essentially. So I was living with John, and uh, his, his his son was still at home as well. So we had no overheads. He didn't he didn't charge me a rent or nothing like that. We just we just lived there and worked and we worked and we worked and we would work you know anywhere between 12 to 15 16 hours a day um six days a week just to get just to get by just to sort of you know start really hustling to make make a name for ourselves and we would do absolutely anything that we could we would do leaflet drops we were doing farmers markets we were doing deliveries that were an hour and a half away we were doing absolutely everything that we possibly could we were just like just to get our name out there and just to get established like you name it we we did it we um our wholesale was 
we tried picking up heaps of wholesale and we were making like you know our, our profit margins on our wholesale were looking back at it now was absolutely fuck all so um yeah we did like i said when when we did it when there was something to do to get a buck we were doing it to get a buck and you know that that started us out so we were we were working all those hours um for 500 bucks a week which was absolutely nothing but we were we were getting by so everything else all our profits and everything else that we had that was coming through the shop everything was just getting reinvested 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 so we started doing um started doing the place up started knocking down walls we started doing up, um, upgrading all our all our equipment when we could we uh we upgraded our delivery van uh, we got it we got it sign written and that was just like that was a huge step for us because we had this old uh shitty little box that would sit on the back of the ute and you'd have to plug it in for it to get the for the temperature to get down and then you'd go do your delivery and you'd take an extension cord with you and then as soon as you pull up you'd, you'd run and find a plug and you'd you'd plug in and wait for the for the temperature to get down before you actually opened it up so So I guess the big push for us was creating an experience when people came into the shop because I live in a town where, you know, at the time I think there was, including supermarkets, maybe like five other places where you could go and get meat. So for us, we just really wanted to push, push, push and go all in and hard on customer service. Um, And then we upgraded our... So everything that John taught us uh, was the old traditional English style of butchery that old school we only used whole carcass everything that we had would um, only come from bodies we got in touch with a couple of local farmers and we were using just um, big black Angus bodies just to supply the shop and um, exactly the same with with our lambs we only had uh, whole lambs we got in contact with a couple of local farmers as well so that was our that was another uh, one of our big pushes to um to the public was and our our slogan was quality and traceability are a must so that's that's what worked really really well for us the play the owner before us had a completely different demographic in terms of um his customer base uh where the shop is located is you know not too far away from the sort of poorer poorer side the bronx of town um, but you know, not too far, just a stone's throw away in the opposite direction. You've got like the sort of mid, like upper middle class, uh, working class, which is just like some some nice houses, I swear, uh, which is just up there. So you know, uh, we sort of only had the 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 lower demographic of our clientele, which were coming through. So you know, with that being right around the corner, we thought like, how can we? get that clientele and get that trade in there as well so we started uh investing all our earnings uh sorry all our profits back into the shop to really spruce it up uh we knocked down walls we made everything a big open plan display so that you could see everything that was going on like a traditional butcher shop now i'm not sure why all the old school butcheries are over here 
um, for some reason they've built their shop around their fridge so that was that was a big one for us we had a big outdoor area which was just a just a car park really so we extended um, we extended about 20 meters we knocked down the internal fridge and we opened it up so it was a big open plan display so that you could see everything that was going on uh, we changed the color scheme completely so it was just white and red um, I'm a big big believer that you know the the that red is just a it's, it's just a powerful powerful color when you see it you see you see success it's it's a it's a lucky color it's it's a faster color it's um you know it's that little bit memorable over here a lot of the colors that are over here in terms of butchery is just either like black or blue and white or you know there's not too many people over here that i, I haven't seen red that often and i haven't seen red used in the way that we use it with a traditional dress you know i wear a a white iron shirt every single day I wear a tie every day I wear a trilby hat and like it's just that old school sort of look and that old school sort of feel and you know the first time that I put on that uniform I sort of looked in the mirror I'm like you look like an absolute wanker so but it wasn't until you know you get that response from your audience and your, and your customers saying like wow you look cool but you know I teach my boys that come into me now the my apprentices that come up under the shop and I'm like, you know, if you're prepared to wake up in the morning, iron a shirt, wear a, wear your slacks with a with a with a iron crease down the front, wear a tie, you know, you're already a step above your competition in order of like just in appearance itself uh, before you've even left the house. So you know, you got to look good, you got to feel good, uh, and you know when you walk into a room and you and you got that and you just got this this swagger about you you know you command you command respect so it's just it's just another way of sort of you know creating uh confidence i guess to stand out stand out in front of a crowd so after we started doing the demo works and everything like that we started um like really cleaning up cleaning up the shop to to that big open plan display we started um in increasing the increasing the size increasing capacity changing all our different sorts of turnover and everything like that um you know making it making it so that it is very welcoming when you come into the shop it doesn't smell like a real like a traditional butcher shop it doesn't look like a traditional butcher shop but you know everything that's there is is traditional and and old school it's like you know you walk in you can see exactly what's going on um you know there's no i guess there's always been a bit of a stigma of what happens at the back of a butcher shop but yeah literally breaking down walls um in a theoretical sense and a a physical sense just to just say like you know we got we're completely transparent we got nothing to hide if you want to come in you come in if you want to go into the fridge you come in the fridge you want to go out to the back in the washroom you're more than welcome to have a full full tour there's like there's no secrets here everything is everything is on on display all day every day and um yeah so fast forward now we're, we're just about to turn 10 years old so um yeah we've um we've been we've been going going strong going good um starting to work on a few things away from away from the shop it's it's slowly starting to get to get to a position where it's um you know i'm comfortable with and and it can really start to focus on you know things that i've been wanting to do in in terms of um 
you know Joel the butcher as a as a personality and and as a um, as a brand, I guess so. So yeah, and I guess that's um that's a that's a bit of the reason why why the podcast is um is happening as well. You know, it it, it sort of builds on um, builds on that personality and builds on that brand, and people can can relate, I guess, in um in one way or another. But yeah, I guess that's all for episode one. So um, thank you for tuning in. I hope you sort of got to got to have a little bit of an insight on on who I am and where I've come from and where I'm going. But um, yeah, I'm really excited to get some get some guests. I've already got a couple of guests lined up for for this podcast. So um, yeah, I really can't wait to get our first guest on here. That one's going to be an absolutely awesome episode. So um, stay tuned if you liked it. Um, hit that like button if you subscribe um, that would be really really awesome leave some leave some comments in down below and um, you know anything that you want to hear just just chuck those ones up as well Um, thank you for listening i'll see you on the next episode